Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together, and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast, or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. A program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So what is Bhakti Yoga? Welcome to episode number 93. Today, I'm talking to Sita. She's been leading heart-opening Kirtan and sacred music events since 2007. Following the path of bhakti yoga, she leads events with chanting and kirtan music and classical yoga and yoga nidra and all sorts of events to help people find their peace and love. In this conversation, we're going to talk about that path. What is bhakti yoga and why is devotion so important and how can it open your heart? And what exactly is kirtan? What type of music is it? And how powerful is chanting? So sit down and relax and take in this beautiful recording. Sita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Reese. Nice to see you. And Thank you for welcoming me. It's an honor. Can you explain what bhakti yoga is? Ah, yes. The first words that I hear in my mind is bliss, real mm. bliss, peace. Mm. And uh, I don't even know how I ended up this way, but I'm a bhakta. I'm totally a bhakti yoga person, even though I do all the other kinds of yoga as well, the other uh, paths. But the bhakti spoke to me a long time ago, and here I am. So it's the yoga of devotion. It's the yoga of love. It's the yoga of peace. It's also the yoga of ahimsa, which is non-harming to anybody. So and most people don't think about it like that. You're not a doormat. You're actually kind of a little bit of an activist for the peace and well-being of others. Mm when you're a bhakti yoga person. Service. Service, yeah, total service. Uh, but service, in, in my way of service, it is active, it's not passive. It's really caring about others, and which is how I present what I do in my work um, when I do kirtan, is to serve others actively, to bring them into an experience of peace and joy and love. And hopefully that maybe whatever it is they have going on in their life, especially if it's trauma or something uh, sad, that they even for a short time are uplifted 
and feel better about themselves and their lives. And if they leave with a smile on their face and a lighter heart, then I think I've done my work. And as I've played with all the other musicians, that I think we all feel the same. Yeah, you know, I was always taught that there's two kind of ways to the mountaintop, so to speak, if we're talking about, you know, self-realization and whatnot. And that's awareness and, and, and love. Yeah. One's awareness, one's love. Awareness might be considered Zen, the Zen tradition. And love would be considered a, a bhakti tradition, right? Correct. That's absolutely correct. And the bhakti tradition, I mean, it has such a long history and and not not everyone connects but everybody has the capability to connect so for some people you know they're maybe just evolving to that so i've had people come to events and they're a little afraid of what might happen if their heart opens and really that's what's happening in bhakti it's your heart suddenly blown open and the peace and the bliss that you feel is kind of un not describable sometimes and I've looked around sometimes to see, you know, who's with me in a group. And sometimes I'll see a, an old friend that stopped by to see what it is we're doing. And they're not quite sure. And if their eyes are closed and they're singing along midway through whatever event it is, and I know that something's happened, something, something's touched them. But then there are those who will say, uh, perhaps come up to me and speak to me after an event and say, well, I understand what's happening, but I'm not sure I'm there yet. And of course, I just very encouraging and it's okay, you came, you showed up. And uh, some people, it takes a little time, you know, the heart is a hard, hard place, you know, some people have it so tight from their experiences, also from their past lives, their samskaras. Mm -hmm. Those things are, you know, locked in there. It takes a little maneuvering and a little shaking. So, so how do I we feel, how do we open it? How do we how do we get into that blissful love state where we just everyone is just a beautiful being? Well, part of it, I think, is it's very hard to do for some people. I think it was a little hard for me as well when I first started. Is to let go of any pretense let go of any expectations, let go of everything. So it's really important for most people, including myself when I started, to be in a safe space. And creating a safe space is, I think, the first thing because then you're able to say, okay, well, I'm here and I'm safe to be who I am, be myself. And that takes time. Uh, but I think also the practice of Kirtan also brings you to that place because of the rhythm, because of the repetition of the music and you slowly, it kind of starts to wear you away and your heart starts to slowly come out, come out slowly. It's pretty interesting. And uh, for some people, they're waiting for it. They're so excited. They're ready. I'm here. I'm going to sing my heart out and I'm going to just be blissed out. And others are just very cautious. Oh, what, what's going to happen if I let this happen? But when you're surrounded by both kinds of people, there's no doubt that the experience is going to happen for everybody. That's how I look at it. Mm. You have to be able to let go of your guard also uh, and let, let yourself be you. So the invitation vulnerable, vulnerable and just be yourself. Some people don't know how to be themselves and it's hard. I, I know I went through that myself when I was younger. You just don't know, you know, you want to, you want to show up and you want to look good and you want to 
be okay and you want people to like you. Um, there's a point though with the practice of bhakti yoga that that all just falls away. And you have to be willing to just be so open and so vulnerable and so okay with who you are and how you sound and not worry about anything. Um, and just close your eyes and take the ride, take the experience in. It's really what it's all about. And I think in the end, most people even get a glimpse of what that looks like, or some people are totally blown open and, and they can feel it and they want, they want that feeling. I, I just recently went through an experience where I had some health concerns and that put me into a state of health anxiety. Never happened before. I've never had it before. And I'm, I'm the inner peace guy. I, I like, I'm a very peaceful, calm guy, but for some reason it jolted me. And in that experience, I became very vulnerable. Interesting. And in that vulnerability, I started opening up to my parents, to my friends. Mm -hmm. I started saying, I love you. That's not something that I really have done. I said, mom, mom, we're going to hug every day. Hug my mom every day. You know, tell my dad, tell my dad, I love him. Never said it in my adult life. We've never had that. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. It's a transformation. Yeah. It, it kind of, the first time I had the experience, I cried. I didn't know why I was crying and they were tears of joy. You know, when I felt it and I didn't know what I was feeling and somebody described it for me, my heart just blew wide open and the tears just came down and I was like, what's happening to me? You know, my, non you know, the person that didn't want to be so vulnerable, like, what the heck's going on? Mm. The other side of me was like, wow, something changed, something shifted for me. Mm. I've been transformed. And, you know, transformation doesn't have to be huge. It could be small, midway, or full. It depends on the person. Mm. So it sounds like you had a, a nice transformation for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Sometimes it's, it's the suffering that is the device. Exactly. And sometimes it is in our lowest place when nothing is working and we're really at our downest times. I think that also was what spoke to me about Bhakti Yoga was that, okay, I can just be myself. I can be vulnerable. I can be sad or I can be up. I can come to this any way I'm feeling any way at all. Everything's welcome. Whether I'm feeling down or, or depressed, or I'm feeling upbeat and doing okay in my life. Either way, it works. And either way, I feel it's a balancer. It makes you feel right in the center, calm and peaceful, blissful. Do you also meditate in this practice? Well, that's an interesting thing. Some don't. Exactly. I have probably got one of the busiest minds that I know of for hmm. myself, okay? My whole life as a child, busy, constant, very energetic, lots of thinking. I'm interested in information. I enjoy people. I enjoy, and I'm an introvert at the same time, so go figure. So I have both sides really kind of in a weird balance. I am a private person, and yet outwardly I might appear to be not so introverted. But because of that busy mind, I always wonder, well, can I meditate? And so I did learn first about meditation and yoga. And I remember thinking, oh, 
this, I don't know if this is going to work for me. This is really tough. But when I found the music and I found the chanting and I first heard the sound of the harmonium, which is what I play, everything shifted. And I find that it is through the practice that I am meditating. I am really meditating. I am so in the moment. I am so blissed out. I call it chant head. And mm. most of the people who come and, and join me will laugh because by the end of the night or whatever we're, you know, whatever timing we're playing and, and uh, enjoying the music, by the end, I don't have much to say. I try to say it all in the beginning, little introduction, and then we ride the ride and the experience. And by the end, everyone will agree we all have chant head together. And it's a mm. great feeling. And I love it. You know, people will get up and walk out, maybe stop by and say thank you and walk out and it's that's it. They've got bliss and hopefully it carries through. So I find that this practice that I'm doing with Kirtan and chanting is really my meditation. So I'm more likely to sit in front of my harmonium or perhaps just sit and chant or hum or sound mm. mantras and those are my meditation. For someone that doesn't know what kirtan is, how would you describe it? Well, it is a form of bhakti yoga, of course. It's a part of it. It is chanting what they say, the names of God. It's kind of the central practice of bhakti yoga in that way. The names of God. And it is a way of expressing your devotion because bhakti is all about devotion and love. It's a way of expressing yourself in that devotion. So whether or not you think you can sing or not doesn't really matter. It's being able to sort of set your, your mind aside and open your heart to gain some kind of access to the inner world that, you all, that we all have inside. And it is, again, a, an inner state of bliss that exists for all of us. You know, no one doesn't have it. It's just how do you find it? So Kirtan is this way of finding it for me and I think for so many others. Otherwise, there wouldn't be such a grand Kirtan movement in the West. And of course, it comes from India. And um, I think that it has a certain kind of language of its own, a vibration of its own that helps and assists us in opening up to that bliss. Uh, and I, I don't think that it there's no time that I've heard that it doesn't work for people if you at least try it. Um, and it's a magical experience. I mean, that's all I've ever found it to be, which is my love for it. And also, again, the service side is my love for offering it so that people can access that part of themselves yeah. that might be a little bit um, something that's hidden. Enchanting and chanting and singing has been a part of religious cultures for eons. I mean, I grew up in a, uh, a Jewish environment, you know, you go to the temple and you, you know, there's the, the songs and then Native American cultures, there's tons of music, Indian cultures, tons of music. In 2012, when I started my spiritual seeker journey, I went to an ashram for the first time to stay for a whole week. You might be familiar with it. It's Ananda Ashram in New York. Sure. Yes, absolutely. And that's our local spot. And there I met a mystic. I met a, a roaming mystic who became my mentor. Hmm. And I remember I went to nighttime meditation. 
And I'm expecting to just do meditation, but they're doing the organ and everyone's chanting and singing. And I'm just like, I don't know what this is about. (laughs) And I came back to the dorm room where my soon to be mentor was. And I'm like, I don't understand this. And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, don't just dismiss it. He's like, you're raising your vibration. Yes, exactly. So what is the benefit of this sacred chanting and music? Well, it's very scientific, really. And you are indeed raising your vibration. So whether it's a cantor in a synagogue doing the chants in Hebrew, uh, it could be Gregorian chant in the Christian tradition. It could be Sanskrit in the Hindu tradition. They all have this particular quality, especially the mantras, which are prayers. And each syllable, each part of the sound that we're making has that high vibration encompassed in it. So as we sound it, it naturally raises our own vibration. So you can't really get away from it. You don't have to know what you're singing necessarily. Uh, It is important to be able to pronounce the words the best you can. Mm. But that's why they're most of the time, if you start, you know, slowly and you, you learn some of it or some, sometimes I bring the words along for new people so that they can have a look and see, get a, a visual of what the words might look like. And then I ask to put the paper aside and close your eyes and dive in. So sometimes it's best to start slow and start, you know, with a, a short mantra. Um, but it takes very little time for most people. If you, again, allow yourself to release yourself, that vibration begins to come into your body. It is literally in your nervous system. And for example, I always enjoy leading a group and chanting a mantra, a simple mantra, 108 times, Mm. which is a sacred number. Beyond the sacred number part of it, 108 times repeating that mantra in a rhythm with devotion, with concentration, it starts to open you up on your vibration for sure. And if you're familiar with the nadis in yoga, we have the nadis, those energy channels, the subtle energy channels. So if you look at a chart of the circulatory system, you know, the doctor's office circulatory system, you can get an idea of what the nadis are like too. There's, oh, I forget, 72,000 of them or something, little little channels of energy in the whole body. Um, It is said that 108, chanting 108 of a mantra will start to open up those channels. Mm. And the more you open up those channels, the more you're going to feel it, the more you're going to feel the vibration. And there's no doubt that with consistent practice, you are able to, again, scientifically maintain a higher vibration And there's something about it because, I mean, I've always been told and people, I've noticed other people too, the more you chant, the more you express yourself through Kirtan, there's some kind of a glow in the face. And this is said by some of the sages also, if you read scripture, Hindu scripture, um, it can bring, you know, a lightness of the body, of the mind, a physical glow on the face, the eyes get shiny. And you definitely have raised the vibration of your body, your physical body, as well as your spiritual body, Mm. your emotional body. So all the parts are included. So I'm always fascinated by that because I am a total yogi, but I'm I'm sort of a scientific yogi. Like I like to know why this works. Sure. You know, I'm not like floating up here somewhere. I'm a spiritual person also, but 
I like to know the science, I like to know the information around it. And the more I read and the more I explore, and I've been doing this for many, many years now, I love it. I love finding out it's true, it's real. Uh, and it speaks to me on a real level. Now, somebody, of course, could come to one of your events and witness this, go through this with you. But is there also stuff on YouTube someone could do? Oh, well? sure. Yeah, there's so much out there now. There's more than ever. Uh, there's so many different local and world renowned leaders. And the interesting thing is in the West, um, it's kind of taken over a little bit and everyone has a style. So while originally this was a practice from the temples of India, uh, now it's come full force into the US. And the way I started was a beautiful way. And I remember it, you know, really in the beginning, it was in the living room of an Indian couple in my neighborhood who had invited me to see, you know, whether they could bring this practice from their homeland into their home. Mm. And that was initially, I think, the way a lot of people started in the West is to have small group gatherings. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big production. When you're doing bhakti yoga in this way, it's actually beautifully intimate to have a living room, maybe five, ten people, someone on the harmonium, maybe a drummer, and just ease into the practice peacefully and slowly and build up the energy. And that's the other thing. It's a wonderful way to slowly come in and slowly begin to build up the energy as you repeat and repeat the lines of the music and the mantras or the bhajans. Bhajans are spiritual songs. Mm. And then from there, you know, then it became bigger groups and bigger groups. And um, then it became the Omega Institute chant, which I don't know if you're familiar with every year. Well, of course, last year didn't happen. And this year, I'm not sure. But Every year, I believe we're up to around year number 15, I want to say, 10 to 15 years, where all of the big names come together for the weekend, starting from Friday on, on Labor Day weekend to Monday. And it is an extravaganza. It's like every artist that's known and some of the, a couple of the locals that are up and coming kind of uh, musicians and chanters come together and there's a schedule and people come from all over to spend the whole weekend from Friday to Monday, just chanting their whole day away. It's really mm. a magnificent time. And I've done this several times. Um, I've lots of friends and, you know, I know some of the big musicians now I've traveled with some of them and I've been in their, their presence and their guidance for a long time. So I'm just very grateful to that, but what an experience. So figure, it's not just one night where you attend something for a couple of hours, but you're literally chanting Friday night, maybe three hours, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday all night until Sunday morning, a little break for lunch and sleep, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. And if you stay into Labor Day morning, Monday, Monday morning, Monday night, it's crazy. And you can see the bliss and the energy shifting. So from Friday, by I like to say by Sunday morning, when everyone's still coming around after all night chanting, I mean, literally, you're, you're on at 2, 3, 4 a.m. I think everybody, I think we ended the one time that I was there for the whole night uh, by 6 a.m. 
and then you go get a little rest and then something to eat. But on Sunday morning, um, I've often gone to Omega uh, in the afternoon to start from Sunday to Monday. People are just walking around, smile <laughs> on their face. Right. Everything's good with the world. Everything's love. And it's so joyful. I mean, how can you not want that in your life? That's how I feel about it. Yeah. So you can take uh, that kind of experience, and there's many now around the country. I mean, I know that we're still, you know, slowly coming back after our lockdown time in the last year, but um, there will be more of this soon, I think. I know I'm ready to come out soon in the spring, mm. uh, late spring, to do live events again safely. And there are definitely lots of YouTube uh, lots of online things still going on around the world. You can find something, you know, you can go looking for events online on Facebook and, um, everyone's doing a little something because first of all, the live stuff we're all missing. I'm terribly missing it, you know, because mm. it's something that really feeds my soul so, so directly. And so exactly to be with other people, and because the practice is call and response, it's known as call and response. So I chant the line and then the group chants it back. And you start really slow and it goes back and forth. And back. next thing you know, the energy is just building and building and it gets more and more ecstatic. And by ecstatic, I mean, people sometimes have an impulse to literally jump up and dance. And, hmm. you know, it's not unlike, I'm Christian uh, by, you know, when I was born, I was in Christian churches. And grew all up that. Christian, right? Yeah, grew up Christian. And what it feels like is those praise events, you know, where everybody's standing with their arms up and they're dancing and they're just praise. It's praise music, really what it is. It's, it's yeah. you know, our form of praise music now. Right. And it's a wonderful experience, you know, so... Um, I highly recommend it, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been it sounds, part of my life powerful. for a long time. It's extremely powerful. Uh, and you don't really know sometimes how it's going to come out. Uh, you, like I said, you can show up at an event. And I always welcome people. And I say this sometimes in the beginning. However you showed up, you're welcome. You know, if you're a little afraid, if you've never done this before. That's kind of like my style has always been to welcome new people. I love introducing this practice to new people. It's one of my favorite things because it's my feeling of, you know, I'm doing something good for someone. And of course, there's been people who have come and they leave before the end. Sure. And, you know, maybe it was just too much energy for some people it's just too much energy too soon well, some people are stuck in their religion too and they, they don't have an that open mind too. yes not an open mind and that's happened too um i think my family was a little shocked in the beginning too they were like well, you're doing what and i think they they were just a little bit concerned that i had switched religions on them or something and yeah i'm very universal <laughs> you are miriam yeah. now you're Sita. Yeah, exactly. And so now, but you know, think of the name Miriam, that's a pretty spiritual name already. Yeah. And then given the name Sita by, uh, by one of my dear teachers many years ago, like 25 years ago, I was given a name before I was ready to have a name. That's how I felt. Yeah. And the spiritual names, as you know, are meant to remind you of your divinity. So and, and, and to go against ego. Exactly, exactly personality the ego mm -hmm. the 
the, the false self. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what what's yoga nidra? Because there's a lot of yoga nidra uh, guided meditations on YouTube for helping people sleep and whatnot. Yeah. How would you describe yoga nidra? Well, yoga nidra is another beautiful and again, scientific practice. And I actually guide some yoga nidra uh, every now and then. It is a form of Let's see, how can I describe it? It feels a little bit like you're being hypnotized, which is why it's so powerful. Hmm. So the practice is laying down completely comfortable. So neck pillow, anything you need to lay on the floor. It's basically Shavasana extended, right? but it's very exact because when you're participating, you are asked the best of your ability to keep your mind aware and awake while your body is completely relaxing. So you're actually going into the state of consciousness between asleep and awake and floating there with there. awareness. Yeah. yeah. And it's a beautiful place to be, but also there's some work to be done. So you come to Yoga Nidra, perhaps that you'd like to change something in your life. Maybe it is about stress and anxiety. Maybe it's someplace that you're stuck and you're not able to, you know, shift out of a mindset or a habit or just a mental predicament that you might be in in the time. So there is something added to this practice called Sankalpa, where you literally set an intention that through the practice gets buried deep into your subconscious. And it goes naturally with the relaxation process. And the story goes, we go through the whole body relaxing each part. So it takes about a half an hour to dive deep first. And each part meaning you address both sides of the body from all the fingers down the whole right side, down to your toes, then the whole left side down to your toes. Yeah, it'll say like very methodical, put, put awareness on your left pointy finger. Exactly. Middle finger, and it'll run through the whole thing. Very methodical, so that you make sure that but it's also the the mind in a pattern. The mind always needs something to think about. So you are being guided to think about these particular places in your body. Mm. Then there's the balance between hot and cold, the balance between wet and dry. So you do the opposites, the breath, breathing in, pausing, breathing out, pausing, breathing in so that you know where, where's your breath. And then you balance it out. And then the next thing that happens is the, uh, the guide then gives you a story. So it's just a nice story, a visualization, a guided journey of some kind. And um, I don't know, I like to take people to the beach or mm. into the forest or into a field and have them see visually something beautiful, something peaceful, something joyful. And in between, there's two spots where you say, now remember the intention you set, remember the intention. And you pause there and let the practitioners remember their intention. And there's where it's going deeper and deeper because now they're wide open to accept this into the subconscious mind. And then that allows for a deepening. And then you bring them out of the journey and you slowly bring them up out of the sort of, I, I still call it a form of hypnosis because you're really in the zone, you're in an altered state. 
And then once you're awake and you're up again, there really is no telling. And some people have had documented total shifts with their intentions for the good from the practice. So it is a practice that can be done every week. Uh, I don't know about every day. I've never done it every day, but it can be done every week, I'm pretty sure. What what time of the day should it be done? Because some people do it to sleep, but it sounds like something better you know, afternoon or something. You can do it at any time. So I've offered it during the day. And then the request came because the problem is you're so relaxed at the end that you kind of do want to go just like go into bed or go take a hot bath and then go to bed or be really kind of peaceful after. So I would say for me offering and actually experiencing it when I do take it for myself, I like afternoon and evening. No, not so much in the morning, unless you really have a whole day to release and relax. But not right at bedtime, just... Not necessarily, yeah. I mean, it's helpful for some people. That's how they... I I had one request, can you put it closer and closer to my bedtime so I can just crawl into bed and go to sleep? Yeah. And But, you know, usually like, so for example, um, right now I've been offering it around 7 o'clock to around 8.30, giving that space for people to maybe have a cup of tea or take some, a little bit of downtime after the experience and then go to bed. Uh, another nice time is around 4 p.m. Do you do it online or are you doing it live now? Uh, I'm doing it online now. So, uh, and that works well, you know, people in their own space, in their own living room, but I've done it live. Uh, for now, I'll, I'll, I'll be online and then as soon as places start to open up, I'll be able to offer that live again. Very cool. Glad you're doing this. Let's talk about you a little bit. Okay. You have a very similar background to me. I come from show business. You, my friend, (laughs) were in it 21 years as an ABC news editor and writer. Yes, I was. I was at least in the entertainment field. (laughs) You were in the news field. Right in the middle of the newsroom. At least yes. I had some fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had some fun also, I have to say. Yeah, you might have had more fun than I did, but I definitely had some fun. Yeah, yeah. I was in, you know, I was in rhythmic radio, television, you know, entertainment. Yeah, cool. Music, music business, essentially. Wow, cool. So you're in the news business. The news can be very, very, very negative. It is very negative because it's bad news. How'd you deal with that? Well, in the beginning, when I first started, I was in my late 20s and I was a little crazy. Mm. <laughs> That's probably how I dealt with it. I was a little crazy in a good way. Um, I grabbed onto the opportunity to work for ABC and I took it very, very seriously and just got in there and climbed the ladder. And along the way, yes, I did experience a lot of craziness, a lot of heartache, uh, a lot of sadness, but the camaraderie of the people that I work with was what it was all about. And those people became my family. And when you have a group of people, a team in a newsroom working as a family, the way we were, that was the help that was the joy and that was the peace. So in between the crazy news events, we might have a holiday together in the newsroom 
and share, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's or celebrate somebody's birthday mm. or someone's retirement or someone's yeah, the, the camaraderie, the team, the, the team aspect that made it all worth best, it. Yes. You know, and worth it. Plus, again, I was an inf- I still am, but I'm a little bit different now because of my practice and since I started, but um, being an information junkie, and that's definitely what I was, I was definitely fueled on that adrenaline. And also because I have such a busy mind, I was able to multitask really well. So that was a joy for me to be able to say, okay, I can do this and I can do this and I can do, and that was what helped me get through most of my shifts in the crazy newsroom. Mm. But then there was the day and this is my, I'll give it to you quickly, but the story just was really amazing to me how this even all came about. I had one uh, assistant in the newsroom who suggested I try yoga. <laughs> and I remember thinking yoga, what are you talking about? And I don't know why. I mean, in that moment, I was sort of like, no, not for me. And at the time I used to walk and skate and dance and, you know, I was a mover. And, and, but I also had an empty refrigerator and I was working 14 hours a day a lot, you know, coming and going. So, um, and then I met my husband at the time and he also one day said, you need to do yoga because he was watching this crazy woman going back and forth. And to him, I also said, no, I don't think so. Yoga, I don't think so. But then one thing led to the next and it was an interesting synchronicity that this young woman in the newsroom who had suggested yoga then invited me to a class. And she kept inviting me to a class and I said, all right, I'll go because you're, you seem so so genuinely, you know, wanting to, to show me this. So I went to the class and, uh, you know, I was like, I walked out and I thought, okay, that was nice and relaxing, but not for me. I have too much energy and I want to move and it's too slow. A couple weeks later, she invited me again. And of course, you know, I was like, oh, okay, again. Anyway, long story short, a few weeks after that, she invited me to come to an ashram with her. So you know the ashram, what happens at the ashram. Yeah. yeah. So her reason was she did not have a car and she wanted me to drive her for a weekend at the ashram. And I was like, okay, well, I'm always in for a new experience. I get it. This is something's calling her to call me to bring her. And within one night and one morning at the ashram, I fit in so well, it even scared me a little bit. Nothing that was going on at that ashram phased me, not a little bit of it, not the ritual, not the system, not the yoga classes. At that point, I'd already done a couple classes and I was like, okay, this is what it's about. Um, The temple stuff, all the Hinduism didn't phase me. I wasn't sitting there like, I'm Christian. This is not, this is against my religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend turned to me the day before we left in the dorm and she looked at me and she said, I don't understand it. You fit in right here so well. I don't understand it. It's like, I don't get it. And I said, I don't get it either. And so right after that experience, 
I started going more yoga classes mm. and more yoga classes and more yoga classes and I increased it to four days a week. And then I decided to take a trip to an ashram in the Bahamas. Mm. I thought, hmm, let's go down and get some sun and go to an ashram. So I went to this ashram for a week. And during that time, there was a teacher's training course going on. And I have never seen so many excited people of all ages between the people who live there running everything, the visitors, which I was a group of, in the group of visitors, and then the teacher's training group. Right. And those teacher's training students were just so on fire and they're running because the schedule is extremely intense. Hmm. And I remember thinking as I left there, I want this. I want what's making them so excited in my right. life. Right. And you saw later, some role models. Oh, it was incredible. So a year later, I signed up for the first teacher's training. And so bringing me back to the newsroom after that first teacher's training, well, when did I take the first teacher's training? It was like divine intervention. 9-11. I was that. in the ashram oh. during 9-11. And I remember the morning and I remember thinking, wow. So not only had I, as a news person, missed this huge event, but I was in an ashram, like super protected. Right. And it was very freaky to me, but I thought after a while, this was meant to be. Hmm. And something has now shifted in my life. And when I leave here, I think that's when the bhakti in me started. Hmm. When I leave here, I can't go back in the world the way it is and certainly not walk into the newsroom with my colleagues, right. the same person. Right. And I didn't. I came in and for the next five to six years, I was in the newsroom as a yogi. And everybody remembers it very well, you know, yeah. and eventually yoga and the practices took me away from the newsroom. You know, I knew exactly when I had to leave. And I said, I, it's time for me to leave. And some of my managers said, we knew that yoga would take you away at some point. Yeah. But it was time to go and time to really dive deeper into all of it. And that's when I actually started uh, sharing the love of Kirtan. And this is back in 2006? Yes. I think it's interesting to note or important to note to the listener right now that you know, most Westerners think of yoga, they think of the exercise, you know, the postures. But yoga is much bigger than that. Bhakti yoga has nothing to do with the postures. It's it's more of a lifestyle practice. Um, we already talked about yoga nidra, you know, mm -hmm. that's more of a meditation hypnosis type thing. So yoga is a big umbrella term, which means union, right? Yes. And, but the Westerner typically thinks of, you know, warrior pose or downward dog, right? Right. Because yoga is really, again, like you said, it is, a, it is like an umbrella uh, term, but there's a yoga for everybody. This is how at least some of my teachers look at it. So if you're a devoted kind of person, devotional, you have a you know, hard and you're emotional and sort of that person, then bhakti yoga will speak to you. 
But some people, that's not for them, you know, it's just a little too touchy-feely, a little too soft. And maybe you're a Raja Yoga person. So Raja Yoga is the royal path, and that's the psychological aspects of yoga. What does psychology have to do with yoga? Well, some say that if you really study Raja Yoga, you would never need a therapist. Because instead of having a therapist tell you why you're thinking the way you're thinking, you learn to discern why you think the way you think. And you're able to break it down to your own patterns and bring it back to where you were in your childhood. You can actually do some of your own therapy, which I've experienced quite a bit in my life. I've done regular therapy. And then I really latched on to Raja Yoga quickly as well and read books and had that experience. And then there's Yana Yoga. So yana yoga is the yoga of the intellect. So now you're like, okay, all right, I don't need that much psychology, but intellectually and not so much psychologically, but philosophically, where am I at with this yoga? And now you have some basis for a philosophical look at yoga, right? And then you have the hatha yoga, which is the physical exercises. Right. And never to be just physical exercises, because when you connect the breath to those poses, they go beyond exercise. They start Mm -hmm. to, again, similar to chanting, they do, because of the movement and the breath, begin to open up those energy channels in your body. So it's a beautiful look. It's a, it's, I love the, uh, the whole span of it. Um, A little bit of each is wonderful so that you're not always stuck in one place. Right. You know, a little intellectual, a little philosophical, a little physical, and a lot of devotion for me, especially now as I get older, um, I feel so connected to that devotional side. Are you still flexible? I am, and I still <laughs> practice quite a bit. <laughs> I spent quite a long time also doing uh, Ashtanga yoga. I don't know if you're familiar, but Ashtanga yoga is quite intense, quite physical. Um, and uh, loved every minute of it. And again, it's a way of quieting the mind. And I am still flexible. I still feel really good about my practice. I still get on my mat regularly. And uh, and doesn't always have to be intense. You know, sometimes coming to the physical side can just be breathing and moving the body, you know, in some of the asanas, as they're called, poses. And even that, when people say, poses. It's not just a pose, really. What you're looking to achieve in a pose is the spot where you go into the pose and you stop and pause to breathe and you feel the joy and you feel the slowing down of the mind and you're just there in the moment. So really for me, the practice of the poses is also a meditation. Getting there and then finding it And even in a difficult pose, so I always tell my students, and I am teaching regular classes every week as well online right now, and I have been teaching live for many years, um, is to say that when you get into a difficult pose, somewhere along the line, it will translate into your life. And that moment that you feel the tension, the stress, the anger, becomes softened because when you found that difficult moment on your mat, you learn to breathe through it, you learn to think of it differently, and it does translate. So psychologically, lots is going on. 
And my favorite story on that is I used to have terrible road rage before I started yoga. Really? Uh, driving into New York City every day. Oh, yeah. And uh, trying to park on West End Avenue. I was like, oh, okay. So I would be on one side of West End Avenue and I'd see a spot on the other side and I'd look around to see any cops around. And I was going to hang that U-turn in the middle of West End Avenue. Yeah. And of course, just as I was waiting for the light and watching the traffic, someone would take that spot. And I would just be so angry. I would just come around and yeah. pull up and look at the person taking my spot and shake a fist, <laughs> bang on my steering wheel. You know, I was cr pretty intense when I think back of it. Of course, I laugh now, but back then I thought, wow, what was I doing to my body? You know, like my mind and body. Um, or traffic, you know, and I wanted to get home so badly after a long shift and I bang on my steering wheel. When is this going to happen? Like, when is this going to move? And how am I going to get home from here? Yeah. Um, and I noticed slowly, slowly as I practiced, it all went away. I definitely am going to attribute it to practice because what else could it be? Yes. But I slowly started to breathe and just look at everybody. And go, okay, look, you know what? I'm stuck here now. It's okay. And, and also with people and relationships. I'm not a doormat, you know, I will speak when I need to. But sometimes, you know, we all need to just let it go. And I think yoga helps that it really helps us yeah. see a perspective of the middle road in a better place so that you don't get crazy anymore. And I, I really enjoyed that part of the maybe the softening of my older age too. older age. How old are you now? Oh, 63. 63 look yeah. at you okay i don't feel it but you know it sometimes it pops up in my mind oh my gosh you know <laughs> uh, but i do believe that it's the practices that keep us young you know keep us vibrant and i intend to continue as long as i can yeah absolutely so where can people find you on your website and social media yeah, you can look for my website. It is sitaslight.com, S-I-T-A-S-L-I-G-H-T.com. And same on social media, Sita's Light Kirtan on Facebook and Sita's Light on Instagram. And pretty easy to find and there's events posted there and I keep it pretty simple. And I also try not to, you know, announce everything too fully about promoting stuff, but I also like to try to be inspirational and post something uplifting. And that's my main goal. Uh, social media has become so crazy, as we know. Um, my main goal is to just like when you see what I do in person, that when you see my social media, that you also get a feeling of some joy, some peace and something uplifting mm. is expressed there. That's what I, I really try really hard to be in you know, not the down person, but the person that shares something, uh, maybe a nice quotation from one of the spiritual masters, mm. or I'll play a little music. So all of last year, when we weren't able to play live, I started literally doing my own morning practice and recording a little bit of it. And just very simple morning voice, you know, you don't have to know how to sing really well. Um, I'm blessed that I do have a voice that's pleasant for people to listen to. And I'm grateful for that. But, you know, it doesn't matter how you sing uh, or even when you sing, it's that you do it and you yeah. open your heart and, and get into it. So I recorded some little pieces just to keep myself balanced and in the practice. And yeah, I, I, I saw love. that. I saw the MP3s on the website. Yeah, the audio and, clips. Yeah. 
there's some audio clips there and there's also then uh especially on instagram i think i've posted all of the recorded ones from last year um and you may only again you know i don't need to be seen maybe heard a little bit uh, but a lot of them are just uh, different uh looks at my harmonium bellows mm. you know and it's a sound and i and i'm just in my living room early in the morning just uh playing for myself and recording maybe a minute and just sharing right and uh that's what i you know kind of continue to do now and soon and there's lots of uh what we call the throwback thursday stuff mm -hmm. on there yeah. too and uh if you're interested in seeing if anyone's interested in seeing what happens when you're in a group there's a few representations of videos on Instagram uh, also, and, and also some Facebook of what happens to a group, because it's really magical. Uh, you'd think people don't know how to sing, you know, or, or come, they're not coming in to say, I can sing and I'm going to. It is such a magical moment, especially, my eyes are mostly closed. I play by ear, I'm self-taught. Um, I'm not really, you know, a musician that reads music. I just play. And somewhere along the way, I'm listening to the response coming back and the whole room turns into a choir right. and they sound amazing. And it's because again, what we were discussing earlier, their hearts are opening. And at that stage, everyone sounds beautiful. Everyone sounds great. And of course, there's some great singers always in the group, but some people that were shy, you know, you might, I might open my eyes and see those shy people totally immersed or up in the back of the room dancing. And I'm just like, this is great. I've done my job. Right. I've made them happy. I've helped them get to that happy place. Right. You know, it's a really beautiful feeling. And uh, that's, that's really my form of service right now. I enjoy it so much. Very cool. Well, I appreciate your time today, Sita. This has been a, a great conversation. Thank you. I appreciate you having me and uh, come join us sometime. I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, I'm going to online. I, I, I got to get my chanting back. I'm, I got thrown back to 2012 when I got, when, it, when, when he told me, oh, you tried, but I never really got into it. So yeah, you'd be surprised. It shifts. It'll shift. Got to give right. it a try. I will. I will. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you today. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.